Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to a productive conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I'm joined by a familiar guest, Laura Vanderkam. She's been on the program before. We'll link to those episodes in the show notes wherever you are listening to this podcast. You should be able to find those show notes easily. This is another conversation that really happens quite easily. Laura and I have a really great rapport, and we talk about her latest book, Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. We talk about her body of work. She's written a lot of words over the years. And we talk about this book in particular regarding maybe the most challenging way that people found to calm the chaos and make time for what matters. How to future-proof something that you've scheduled, a really simple and maybe familiar way to do that, and how to work through the rules. Do you take them all on at once? How do you tackle it? And much more. Let's get to that conversation now. Another great productive conversation. Here it is, Laura Vanderkam on A Productive Conversation. Enjoy. Laura, it's great to have you back. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. All right, so we're doing this as a live stream. We do quite a few of these now for members of Time Crafting Trust Premium. So there will be, if you're listening to this, some questions that might come in from the audience, but I've got a whole slew of them. Um, let's put it this way. It's the day after Tuesday. So I don't <laughs> know that I have tranquility yet, but I'm hoping that after this conversation today, others will. The new book uh, that we're going to be talking about today is Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. So I'm going to be like, you and I have had plenty of conversations over the years. So I want to ask you, what's in this book that like you felt, oh, wow, like this is something I haven't covered yet, or this is something that has become more prevalent now that I haven't really given much thought before is, is like, how, how was this book born? Yeah. Well, this is uh, always the, the challenge. If you've written a lot of books, they start to on some level compete with each other. Um, but you know, I do think that I'm, I'm saying something new in this one. I, people have asked me for a lot of time management advice over the years and I've seen thousands of schedules. And at some point in all this, I realized I was giving a lot of the same advice, right? You know, even though people's lives look incredibly different and all sorts of, you know, different things going on. Many of the things I was telling people they should try were, were pretty similar. So I decided to hone this down into nine canonical rules uh, that I think are, are pretty universally applicable. And as part of writing this book, you know, I write self-help for busy people. And so I, you know, want to make sure that things work if I'm going to suggest them. So I did a project where I had 150 people learn these nine time management rules over the course of nine weeks. And every week they would learn a rule. They would answer questions about how they plan to implement it in their lives. I'd check back a week later. They'd answer questions on how it went. Um, you know, I could measure them on various dimensions through the course of the nine weeks. And it turns out that, you know, people follow these rules or at least try to for nine weeks. Their levels of time satisfaction rise significantly. So that is what I am promising people with this book, that if if you, you know, take these rules to heart, you try them out, you know, you actually put them into your life on a regular basis, you will, in fact, feel better about your time, ideally achieving tranquility by Tuesday or however you wish to refer to this level of satisfaction. Because yeah, tranquility by Thursday might be a little bit too long. So Tuesday, I know. It that well, it'd have to be like thriving by Thursday, yeah, wellness yeah, yeah. by Wednesday, you know, it is, you have to go with the alliteration. So let's, let's dive into some of the rules, but I, I, I 
we want people to pick up the book for sure. Um, and I, I'm curious when you're going through the research and when you're going through this experiment and, and, and people were following the nine rules, which one did you find was maybe the most challenging for people to stick with? Well, they're challenging in different ways. I mean, sure. most of the rules are fairly straightforward. I mean, they're not rocket science to do. There are, there are a couple of them. One that's um, challenging for many people to at least figure out what they want to do and put it into their lives originally is to take one night for you. So this is rule number seven um, of the nine. Take one night for you. And what I mean is that you should take at least a couple hours every week to do something that is not work and is not your family and household responsibilities. It is something that is fun for you. And ideally, you make a commitment to this. So not just like, oh, I'd like to read more. I'm going to take bubble baths. No, I'm talking like join a choir, join a softball team, go, you know, sign yourself up for a regular volunteering stint somewhere. You know, I'm not saying every night, I'm saying one night a week. And the reason to do this, I mean, first, it should be something you're genuinely looking forward to, like you really enjoy, mm -hmm. um, because having something that is not work and is not family can make life feel a lot less like a slog. Like you wind up looking forward to your Tuesday night softball team meeting you know, your game every week, you know, to, to get there. Um, but the reason to make it a commitment is so you go. Right. Because, you know, people are like, oh, I'm going to read more. I'm going to take bubble baths. It's like, well, you know, your bathtub isn't going anywhere, right? Like you could do that whenever. And so it winds up just not happening if other people would prefer you do something else. But if you are playing on a softball team, you know, they need a second baseman, you'd probably should be there. Um, and so like you go, even if you're tired and you go, even if life is busy and you go, even if your kid wants you to drive them to the mall, like you figure out a different ride and you go to your game and you feel better afterwards because you did in fact go. Um, and, and so that's why I want people to do this. Um, but obviously it's challenging. It's not just challenging to make the logistics. You know, people obviously have work schedules. They have families they have to care for. They figure out the logistics to take this one night for you. People sometimes don't even know what they want to do. Right. right? Yeah. Like that's that's the thing. It's like, well, okay, if I took one night for me, like I don't know. I've been so busy with work and family over the years. I don't even know what I would do Who to am take I one anymore? night. Like, Who I am don't... I anymore? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. So we have to figure that out, and that, that seems sometimes a little bit challenging to do as well. But you know, I had people experimenting with it, and people trying, like, okay, well, maybe I kind of like tennis at one point. So what if I? go take a tennis class every Tuesday night or, you know, I like ice skating or I like, you know, those, Oh, I see a sign for an improv class. Like, you know, it's, you just have to experiment and figure it out. And slowly you get yourself into the place where you do find that thing that sort of makes your soul sing. Now for somebody who's listening to this right now, they're like, that must be easy for Laura because she knows time management. She's talked about it for a long time. Let's, let's, let's frame this. How many kids do you have again? I have five children, um, ranging in age from uh, teenagers to a toddler. So mm -hmm. you know, they're they're spread out. <laughs> so so the reason I want to bring that up is is that it would be challenging for anyone. Like I've got two kids, and that that I mean, you just you've got five. You've got you know you've got a lot going on. You make time for that, right? So like I mean, it it, it and again, I I think that. When we, when you and folks like me, you, Chris Bailey, like a bunch of us that are in the productivity space talk about this stuff, they're like, it's the old, that's fine for Merlin argument that Merlin Mann used to talk about. Like, well, yeah, because you get, you know, you, you work for yourself, you do all this stuff. What do you say to people who, when, especially that rule for sure, but other rules where they're like, yeah, but you, I mean, you, you, that's fine for you, but not for me. Like, how do you make sure that they can, they can kind of dive into these rules and maybe 
start in a way that isn't like, I'm going to do all nine, right? I'm going to do like this, <laughs> yeah. right? Because that's another thing. People have a propensity to go, I'm going to go in whole hog and do all this as opposed to, you know what, let's do this instead. So let's, can we navigate those waters a bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, when I had people learn these nine rules, they learned one at a time right. and, and they did the first, they come in a certain order, an order that I've chosen because I think it's a helpful order to learn them in. Uh, the first one is to give yourself a bedtime. And the reason to start with that is because life is easier to do when you are not sleep deprived, um, when you are not trying to catch up on sleep on the weekend, when you know the shape of your day because yep. you have a set amount of time that you are awake. Uh, and, and so we start with that. And once once that's good, then we start going into a sort of a regular planning process. You know, we plan on Fridays is our next role. And, you know, once we've got a good planning routine in and we know how we're allocating our time, then we can start going from there. So there's an order to it. And I definitely think that people, you know, do one at a time, make it a habit, then add another one in. You know, I mean, we can always come up with, you know, reasons and, and that something will or will not will not work for, for each of us. And, and um, you know, there may be some things that are easier for me because of whatever. There might be some things that are harder for me because of, of other life circumstances. And I'm sure that's the case for absolutely every single person on this planet. Um, but what is interesting to me is, you know, Oftentimes, if, if an idea inspires like a particular amount of resistance, like that is interesting in its own right, right? Like, so if I say, no, I want you to, well, you know, in this case, I'd take one night for you or something and you immediately go, oh, never, I could never do that. I could never do that. That's horrible, terrible. I could never do that. Like, okay, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Yeah, well, because if you're just like, haha, that's funny. Like, you, you don't, it doesn't bother you if it's just like, you know, if I said like some people like blueberry pies, you're like, haha, yeah, that's great. I don't, whatever. Yeah. Going on to the next thing. Like, it doesn't bother you. If, if something bothers you, then then there's something there that's interesting to explore. And you know, I, I, I don't, maybe it's entirely possible that you can't take a few hours per week to do something different from work and family responsibilities, you know, but why not try and right. then see if it doesn't work, then fine, we'll move on. Just do something else. But, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's interesting to kind of explore that resistance and see if it is rooted in anything real or if it's just rooted in the various stories we can sometimes tell ourselves. You know, when we, when we have conversations, one of the things that, that people think about is like, oh, is he going to go in a linear fashion? Is Mike going to talk? Like when he's going through the book, there's rules one through nine. Is he going to go through them? Nope. I'm going to jump to rule nine. Because <laughs> Let's do that. Rule nine, I love the... I want you to explain effortful before effortless, because I think, again, there's speaking of resistance, there's like, well, wait, you know, they're, they don't, I, I, when, I'm being very general here. The, people feel that, you know, uh, effort means pushing hard, you know, checking off all the boxes and then it's going to be better, right? Like, I, you know, I think, or, or filling their days to the, to capacity so that they can have that, like you talk about sleep. Hey, I'm going to, you know, work, you know, a 15 hour day and get like five hours sleep. And then that, that should make it so that on the weekends I can chill out. And that is very rarely what happens. So can we talk about like this idea of effortful before effortless? Yeah. So what I mean by this, it's this rule is about how we approach our leisure time and leisure, t leisure activities fall in these two categories. Effortful ones are those that require a little bit of, you know, engagement, 
planning, Mm -hmm. um, you know, anything along those lines, uh, a bit of effort, a bit of more active um, approach to it. So this tends to be things like reading, um, puzzles, hobbies, crafting, calling a friend. Those are all leisure activities that require more of your active participation. Right. Then there are other leisure activities that are more effortless. So this tends to be more of the passive leisure in the form of, you know, television or, um, you know, various screen time sorts of things or whatever you're staring at. Watching the Cincinnati Bengals play football. Watching the Cincinnati Bengals play football, you know, it's it's, as opposed to playing touch football with, you know, your friends and family, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's more active, not even just in the sense that it's, you know, exercise, but you know what I mean? Like, you you know, it, it takes a bit more engagement to do the effortful fun versus the effortless varieties. And I am not saying there is anything wrong with effortless varieties. We can love to watch the Cincinnati Bengals. There are great television shows on, um, you know, I enjoy looking at pretty pictures on Instagram, nothing, nothing wrong with any of it. But the problem is that because it is so effortless, it winds up consuming the bulk of our leisure time. Even if in the abstract, we might prefer to spend a different balance on these more effortful sorts of fun. Like, you know, people say, I have no time to read. I have no time to do my hobbies. I can't connect with my friends. And yet somehow we're, you know, our phones show our an- our average screen time per day is like four and a half hours. Yes. Yeah. So where, where is that time all going? So to do effortful before effortless means to challenge yourself to do just a few minutes of effortful fun whenever a spot of leisure time appears before you switch over to the effortless variety. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't start with the effortless. Like if you're about to pick up your phone cause you've got five minutes before the phone call is starting and you've got time to do something, read an ebook for two minutes and then go to Facebook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you've put your kids down for the night or you finished your chores, whatever, you've got a few, few hours before your bedtime, do a puzzle for 15 minutes and then start streaming whatever's on Netflix. Right. And, and by just, you know, one of two things happens. Either you get so into your effortful fun, you keep going with it because, you know, you want to find out who did it in that mystery novel. And so you never make it over to Facebook. And that's also probably fine. Um, but even if you do switch over to the effortless fun, like at least you will have done both. And right. it shifts the balance of your leisure. And since in general, the active leisure tends to feel more rejuvenating and positive on people's affectation scores. Um, we we probably want to be doing more of those sorts of leisure activities and a little bit fewer of the passive ones. Do you think this could also apply to work like things that are not leisure too? I think sometimes we get caught up in the things that are just quote easy or for lack of better terms, empty calories. And then the stuff that's really fulfilling, we wait and, Again, body clock plays a role in this. You and I have had that conversation before, me being a night owl, you being not so much of a night owl. Um, do you think that, that 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 rule, to a degree, could also apply to things outside of leisure? I think it could. Um, and and some, I did an interview a couple of days ago where somebody asked me about this. She's like, well, I need to do like my actual work before I do fun. I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of a different thing. I mean, yes, yeah. that's sort of like the basic self-discipline in life. Like, But, you know, I think a lot of people... It, you know, she was still doing her job. Like sure. she, she made it there, sure. right? Like she, she got to her job. So I don't think that's really in question, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's that um, this kind of ties into another rule, which I talked to people about number eight is to batch the little things. Yeah. And one of the reasons I have people do this, you know, it, it, we all have these sort of small tasks in life and in our jobs too, that are 
they need to get done. And and they can be done, but they're not our most important thing. So you think about, you know, like filling out that form from HR, scheduling that meeting that, you know, it's not urgent, but you you eventually want to have it, returning an invitation, um, sending an informational email, whatever. These are things that like, they're not urgent. They're not all that important, but they're done once they're done and you can cross them off your list and feel very productive. And so we have a tendency to be like, oh, I'm going to sit down at my desk this morning and I'm going to get to the, through all these 20 things. And of course you will, but by that point, it's sort of lunch. And then your, you know, your energy drops afterwards and you don't have time to sort of, you don't feel like wrestling with any of the bigger issues you're trying to deal with or doing sort of deeper work or, you know, any more focused sort of things because your, your energy is not there. So it's often better to start off with the work that's a bit more nebulous, the work that's not necessarily done, but it's important for you to do. And then you can, you know, during a low energy time, go ahead and knock off those, those 20 things that, you know, like, woohoo, I ordered the birthday present. I filled out the form. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, boost I, those I feel this. Yeah. Now boost I feel that the accomplishment. That yeah. Way, right. Like, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to get to, I want to talk about rule number four in a minute, but, uh, uh, we've got a member of the time crafting trust premium community asking a question. Does this particular line resonate with you? Busy people get more done. Now, why does it resonate or why doesn't it resonate with you? Well, I think the sense is that if you have all the time in the world, it's hard to feel any sense of urgency about anything. And so people who have thought through when they were allocate their time to different things have a process for choosing what to do at any given moment. And then, you know, either executing on it or getting somebody else to execute on it or whatever. And so people who have a lot of responsibilities do tend to have a system that allows them to, once they have decided to do something, actually do it. Um, and, and so I get that, you know, there's people who do whatever they, you know, they know what they can take on. And so if they do take it on, it's going to get done. Um, and, and sometimes those busy people will in fact tell you, I don't have space for this, or we'll need to prioritize something else. The problem you have is when you have busy people who haven't quite worked out exactly what they can take on. <laughs> and, and then they're just overloaded and stuff doesn't happen um, because, you know, they, they didn't leave enough space for it. They're more preoccupied than occupied. Preoccupied <laughs> than occupied. So you, so you want the, you want the busy, that's like the, you know, sort of orderly, um, busy bee kind of getting stuff done person, as opposed to the, the sort of frantic chaotic, uh, busy version well, and, of it. And that brings up an interesting question that we'll, uh, I'll shift gears here for a second. Like the idea of busy, busy isn't bad. It's just gotten a bad rap lately. Right. Like, and, and it, I want, but there's so many terms that have gotten that rap, right. You know, especially in, in the realm of productivity and time management. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know mean, we, we definitely go through the thing of like, everyone likes to be busy or whatever and say like, Oh, how's life going? Oh, you know, busy. But on some level it's, it's just getting at the idea that there's a lot of different moving parts. And that's probably true for a lot of us, you know, we're managing a lot of projects at work. Maybe we have a lot of things going on in our personal lives too. And how do you describe that? I mean, I guess you can use the word full, you know, yeah. if you want to use that one instead, but you know, I mean, how else do we describe like, I just think over the past year, like we managed a home renovation and a move. Like we, you know, have the the five kids doing various different things, uh, all these you know, work projects. I don't know, busy as a word to describe it. But, but even with that, I, you know, I still feel like I have a fair amount of 
unstructured time in my life as well. So I guess it's all what you make of it. Well, and, and this actually lends itself nicely to something else I want to talk about, which is, you know, over the years, you've been really like one of the things I really appreciate what you do is you bring quantitative, like the quantitative element of time, which is clearly calculable. Like, I mean, this is, we have 24 hours. What you've been able to do with your work from, you know, again, what the most successful people do before breakfast, off the clock, to all the stuff that you've put out there, you've been able to embed the qualitative elements of productivity inside of it, which is, is, is really great because I think a lot of people focus on, uh, you know, math, like inbox zero is a great example. Like I had 383 emails. I got them to zero ergo. My day was productive. Right. Well, it's uh, like if they were all ads for, you know, right. Like it's, it's, what's, gap. it's what's layered inside. Right. So you're, you yeah. know, I mean, when I interviewed Ashley Wilms about time smart, there was that element of like, you know, a budget, like, you know, Cal Newport talks about the idea of time blocking. So I think when you can, you know, kind of marry or align like quantitative and qualitative productivity together, you get great results. And rule four is a really interesting demonstration of that, I think, because Three times a week is a habit. Again, most people, and we talked about this off the top, I'm going to do rule one to nine. Like, I'm going to do it all. Like, we've taught, I mean, again, getting things done is, the the methodology is a great example of people who go, oh, GTD, I'm going to do it all. And then all of a sudden it falls apart. And like, why did it fall apart? Well, maybe you tried to do too much, right? And, and this is where I think the idea of three times a week, it's, you're giving permission to say, hey, listen, it doesn't, the don't break the chain doesn't mean seven days a week. It could mean whatever you decide it to mean. So can we focus on that with the idea of this permissiveness to a degree being being part of that, I think at least. Yeah, well, I want people to have a little bit of, of grace with their lives. And I think that when we are a little bit less stringent in the near term, um, when we don't feel as much resistance to things, that's when we're able to do great things in the long term. Um, when we're only doing a little of something every day or a little of something every week, then we can keep going. And, and so this rule is partly about this. Um, you know, three times a week is a habit. What I mean by this is that anything that happens three times a week is happening fairly frequently in your life and can be part of your identity. So if you run three times a week, hey, you're a runner. If your family eats you know, meals together three times a week, you are a family that eats together. If you, you know, practice your musical instrument three times a week, you are a regular piano player, guitar player, whatever, whatever it is that you can have this as part of your identity. And the reason three is, you know, a good number. It's not every day but it doesn't have to be every day. And, you know, when we get caught up in this idea of thinking in life in terms of days, and then something doesn't happen in a given day, because sometimes it just can't, like you feel like a failure. And, and there are people who have amazing long running daily streaks. And, and sometimes it's kind of funny to think about it. I, I did a running streak for over three years. That was kind of fun. You know, I enjoyed it. Um, but probably most of the people watching this or listening to this have a, have a excellent unbroken streak of brushing their teeth every day. Um, if I had to guess, you know, so we do streaks with things that don't inspire a whole lot of resistance, but anything sort of bigger than that, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't happen. And so by setting ourselves up for three, we, we give ourselves a doable goal. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to exercise, exercising three times a week is, you know, good. Like if you want to, 
uh, have some sort of spiritual practice instead of saying like, oh, you know, where can I do this every single day? And then obviously it doesn't work in your life every single day because every single day is different or you have various responsibilities that intervene. You just look at the whole of the week and see where you can fit it in. So this one's been been helpful for me as I try to sort of establish the habit of playing the piano, for instance, and still having family meals with, you know, kids who are running off in all different directions and parents with their various work things as well, that, you know, if we're aiming for the same time every single day, it won't happen. But if I aim for three times a week, it will. I want to talk about the next rule, create a backup slot, because this aligns nicely with um, when I talk about theming your days and stuff like that. So, you know, for me, for example, today, as we're recording this, it's media day. So I know that my brain is primed for video, audio, all that stuff. Whatever I don't get done today that's media related, the default isn't tomorrow because if the default is always tomorrow as the quote backup, then everything kind of lands there and then it becomes the next tomorrow. Things naturally, you know, migrate or, but the natural default day for any media tasks would be the following Wednesday, right? So that essentially kind of follows this rule of creating a backup slot to a degree, but I'd like you to expand upon it because I think it's something people, I think they, that what happens and correct me if I'm wrong, because I mean, you've done some research around this when you were working with people building this, this book and, and is, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Like that's where I'll do it. Or I won't do it at all. Like, oh, well, the opportunities passed us by. So this kind of lands squarely, you know, it, it, it gives you a sense of agency where maybe you don't think that there is any, right? Yeah. So, you know, people create these schedules. And, and what I always say is that anyone can create a perfect schedule. The true time management masters create a resilient schedule. Right. They create a schedule that allows you to make progress on your goals, even when life doesn't go as planned. Because I don't know. I mean, sometimes I wish I lived in other people's worlds where like there was never traffic. There was never, you know, weather problems. Like everyone did everything exactly when they said they would and nobody would get sick and everything would go perfectly according to plan. Life doesn't happen like that. But the fact that something came up does not in and of itself mean anything. Like, of course, stuff came up. That's that's life. Like you, you have to expect that. And when you expect that, you can build in space for it. And then you can allow yourself to still make progress on your goals, even when life doesn't go as planned. So just as an example, I mean, you know, in the summer, like people get invited to, let's say, an outdoor event in the summer, like a picnic or, a, you know, a graduation ceremony. Or something. Often what the organizers do is they schedule a rain day. Right. And a rain date is just a brilliant concept if you think about it. The, they're acknowledging that much can go wrong with an outdoor event. Like it's right there in the rain date name, you know? Um, but there's no question of whether the event will be rescheduled or when. Like it will be on the rain date. Right. And so by giving yourself a rain date, you vastly increase the chances of the event happening, even if not when originally planned. And so I think if anything is important to you, it deserves the equivalent of a rain date. Uh, you know, example I often use is like, because uh, I see this a lot with managers is they'd like set up a time with a direct report to give celebratory feedback. Like they know somebody's going through a lot of rough stuff. They've been dealing with prickly customers. It's like, you want to meet and have the celebration time of everything that's going right. You can just praise your employee. And then you set it for 10 a.m. on Tuesday. And what happens at 9.30 on Tuesday? <laughs> it's like your biggest client has some gigantic, disaster. And of course, the 10 o'clock meeting gets moved because that's like the responsible thing to do. But like, 
what is it going to happen? Is it not like, but it can feel very frustrating that you identified this as something that was important, but because life intervened, it didn't happen. But if you know it's important, say, well, we're going to do it Tuesday at 10 a.m. If for some reason, Tuesday at 10 a.m. doesn't happen, it's going to automatically get rescheduled to Friday at 10 a.m. And both of you know not to schedule anything that's unmovable for Friday at 10 a.m. because that's when it's going to happen. And I recognize it gets a little bit unwieldy to have these rain dates for absolutely everything. But one way you can get it is to leave some quantity of just open space in general. So if you do have control over your schedule, leaving a day like Friday almost completely open is a good idea because then you can move anything from earlier in the week to Friday. Or if something comes up, like you get some great opportunity, you know you have space on Friday to deal with it. If you have a little less control over your schedule, you might want to build in sort of smaller blocks of time, maybe like two afternoons a week or you know 90 minutes of open space every afternoon or something like that. But whatever will allow you to have a spot to put the overflow when your life, when stuff happens that you did not anticipate. As we get close to wrapping up, I want to talk about a couple of things, but I'm going to go body of work now. Okay, so I'm looking at the other works by Laura Vanderkamp, 168 hours, all the money in the world, what the most successful people do before breakfast. I know how she does it, off the clock, which I think is the, I think we had you on the show for off the clock. We had you on the show for the new corner office. And you also had Juliet School of Possibilities, which is a um, a parable style, if I remember correctly, like uh, of, Okay, so now you've got this, the book Tranquility by Tuesday. When you think about your body of work, what, like, I'd just love to hear, like, you unpack it a little bit. Like, how how that journey, because it's been an incredible one. It's a lot of words. (laughs) It's a lot of words. Um, Yes. So, I mean, in general, I am always trying to help people spend more time on what matters and less time on what doesn't. And so I think that is the theme that runs through all of it. Um, They are in slightly different ways. Um, You know, all the money in the world is a brief foray into personal finance writing. But even so, I would say that one is the idea of how can we spend more of a limited resource on what matters to us. Yeah. Money and and time often get like they get put on the same axis. They get put on the same thing because they're they're both limited resources. I would say that, you know, time is more truly scarce than money. You can make more money. You cannot make more time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the mightiest among us still has just 24 hours in a day. But uh, yeah, that's the theme that's, that's run through all of it. And, you know, I, I would certainly hope that people would read these works and come away with the idea that they do have the power to create lives that they want within the time that they have. In, in my years of studying this stuff, um, I've recognized I've had to be open to different ideas because you come in pretty, I wouldn't say maybe not opinion, curious, and then maybe opinions form and then things change. Like that's one thing we, we definitely know about time. Time, you know, as it moves on, things change. Can you think of something, and maybe it's in relation to the book that, that, that we're talking about today, that you held as a belief or a value or something that you strongly held to and said, this is, this is the way it is, or this is how, and you've so- either softened your stance on it or maybe done like a 180 and gone, you know what, maybe I was wrong about this. Hmm. So I don't know that there's anything that I completely um, have, have changed on. Um, 
I mean, I, I think a, a lot of it has been been sort of similar themes in, in the sense that, you know, I, I do think that we all are, you know, we have this time in front of us that we then have to allocate to the various different things that we wish to, you know, allocate it to. And we're always trying to make choices on that. Um, you know, I think like all of people, I find it sometimes hard to follow my own advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think yeah. that's where this comes to be a, a bit. Um, and I know I in particular struggle with the effortful before effortless. Uh, when you get really tired, it's just like, you know, you don't want to do anything. And sometimes what, as, as somebody said in my study of the line to me is sometimes what thought, what I thought would be fun felt like just one more thing to do. Yep. And I, I, I struggle with that too, at the end of the day saying, well, even if I have a very easy book to read, like I, I just, I don't want to, yeah. like, I, you yeah. know, maybe well, I don't want to. Or, 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 um, or, I mean, here's an interesting, like, so my wife and I talk about this. She goes, how come you don't read fiction all that much? I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't. And it's not, it's not that I can't appreciate it. It's that I actually enjoy reading works of, of nonfiction. Like I will, the problem is, is in some instances it can lead me down the rabbit hole of like, Oh, this is something that I can spin into something else. So it, that's the cautionary tale for me. Um, I will say that a piece of advice that I have for anyone who watches football or any kind of sporting event is if you automatically say we didn't win today or we, and you include yourself as part of the team, even though you didn't take the field or the, then that could be effortful, right? Could that be effortful? Like <laughs> I was, emotionally invested. <laughs> my wife hates that. I go, we won today. She goes, no, you did not win. You, you did not. No, no, your team won. Your team but, won. Um, <laughs> uh, Ed, Edward asks, uh, you know, he's got a fun question, uh, and and then I think we'll wrap up on this one because I think this is this is a really fascinating one. Um, why does time seem to go faster as we get older? Mm -hmm. And it's it's true, it does. It does. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, that one of the most uh, real reasons behind it is that our perception of how fast time is moving is shaped by how many memories we are forming of a given unit of time. Um, and, and so just the example I use for people, if you go travel somewhere exotic, you have a vacation somewhere, you know, like a foreign country you've never been to before, your first day there is going to feel incredibly long. And that's because your brain has no idea what it needs to remember. So it is holding on to all of it, right? And so your, your first morning there can feel like it was two weeks, you know? But when we're in our normal adult life, much is routine, yeah. Right. We we do the same thing. We get up in the morning, we get everyone ready. We put in our work day. We collect everyone at the end of it. We go through, you know, dinner and homework and baths and putting kids to bed and then, you know, watch the TV and go to bed and then get up and do it all over again. And, and there's not really anything that your brain is bothering to hang on to because it's pretty much all what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so whole years can wind up disappearing into these memory sinkholes where, where there's nothing that your brain is really latching onto. And, and, you know, you contrast that with like your young adult life where everything was new, right? Like, you know, you're moving on to new schools, you got first jobs, first loves, you're forming new friendships, like trying things for the first time, taking more risks because right. people do that more when they're young. And so your brain is, is holding on to those things because they are different and interesting and novel. And, and you can't like recreate that 
necessarily, you know, you're not going to feel 18 when you're 45. Like that's just, you know, human, the human condition. And I apologize for that, but you know, that is what it is. However, 45 year olds are allowed to have adventures in their lives. They are allowed to try new things. They can consciously make memories by pushing themselves a little bit outside of their comfort zones. And if 45 year olds would like to feel that time is a little bit more thick and rich, as opposed to just sand slipping through an hourglass, then I think it would be a good idea to do. Um, the other thing is, I think, and I can speak because with my kids, especially is that the younger they are, there's less urgency. Like there's not as much of a, like my son going to school, not nearly as like driven to do that per se. Like I'll get there when I get there. like, whereas my daughter who's now 18, like she finally, she finally asked me for a, a day planner yesterday. Like I have tons <laughs> of them. And I was like, Oh, oh there's still, cause she's like, well, I just have like my calendar and I have like notes. She goes, but I think I need a day planner. And I'm like, that's right. You need a to-do list and a calendar. And then yeah. my wife in the background is like, Oh dear Lord. Started. <laughs> so I gave her what, like, which one do you want? She goes, Oh, can I just have like a, no, no, this one does it. She ended up taking a, I think I gave her, um, I had the self scholar one from best self. Cause she's getting ready for university and stuff. I'm like, here, mm -hmm. use this one. Um, and, uh, she was like, do I, the great thing about what we do is that, you know, when we get those bigger, thicker planners, she's like, do I have to fill all this out? And we're right here to go. No, no, still use it. Just know that if you don't fill all, that's okay. Like, don't get that re planner regret. Don't put that in just because they're like, I have to fill it. Yeah, like it yeah. says or, every hour here, I better put something. Or if you didn't use all of it, it doesn't mean that it wasn't useful. Right. Like I think that, and I think that goes for the rules too. Like all, let, let, let's close with that. If people don't follow all nine rules, are they oh, going to be failed? Yeah. It's terrible. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. You <laughs> no, drew, no, no, you no, drew no, your no. line in the sand. And no, this is where Laura Vanderkam becomes polarized. On no, 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 not at all. Not at all. If you know, it's just like try stuff, see if it works. Right. Yep. You know, if like life design, we can take suggestions and, and I call them rules. But if you don't like the idea of rules, call them strategies, call them random ideas Laura had, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you want to uh, put in there that will make you feel less resistant to the idea. Try it, see if it works. If it does, great. If it doesn't, yeah, try something else. But I do think and have some evidence to prove that these nine rules are generally helpful. And it's, and you actually call them ways too. So they're like, this is the way they don't ways. have any ways. I think is, uh, <laughs> um, and speaking of, of ways, it's, it's time for, for us to part ways on this episode, but uh, before we go, the book is called Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. Laura, where can people pick up the book and then keep up with you and what you're doing? Yeah, well, the book's available wherever books are sold. And you can find me at lauravandercam.com where you can learn about that and my other books, my podcasts, and you know, read my blog posts, which I'm still blogging a couple times a week. I really enjoy it. So hopefully I'll find some of your listeners there. Laura, thanks for having a productive conversation with me today. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Laura for joining me on the program today. You can find all of the show notes at productivityist.com slash podcast 444. And this episode, you might've heard some references to questions and things like that. It was broadcast as a live stream to members of Time Crafting Trust Premium. You can join Time Crafting Trust Premium. Just go to the link in the show notes and you, there's a whole bunch of benefits that you get from that. So if you wanna check that out, feel free to do so. If you wanna take other types of action, let's say you like the podcast and you wanna 
make sure you don't miss a single episode, subscribe to the podcast, hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. And you can easily and simply search through those archives to find past episodes with Laura, past conversations with people like Chris Bailey, Gretchen Rubin, and many, many more. Another way to support the show is to visit our podcast sponsors page. That way you can give your support by checking out the sponsors that you heard mentioned during this episode. Go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. That's it for now. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.